When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's time for the Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. So there I was, all dressed up, nervous and excited to see Stormy, and here was Beaver insisting I put on my uniform and go see Corwin right away. I couldn't say no, so I got back into my uniform while Beaver sat his enormous arse down on my bed. What's this about? I didn't do anything wrong, I said. And he just stared at me with this quizzical look, 
and I realized with horror that all those files I'd stolen were still under the mattress he was sitting on. A couple were even sticking out. Could he know? So I tried to distract him. Beaver, you know, I wouldn't mind going any other time, but just between us fellows, I'm seeing a girl tonight. And you don't want to keep a lady waiting now, do you? He cocked his head to the side, but didn't say a thing. He just kept staring at me. He surely was the weirdest milkman I ever met, and I guessed Stormy would be left sitting alone at the store wondering what kind of a jerk I was. So off we went to the receiving station. We walked along in silence. It felt like rain was coming. And it was quiet, quiet like the town knew enough to stay out of the way of whatever was happening down at the receiving station tonight. Of course, I was used to nights in Mingsbite, where groups of kids as young as nine roamed the streets at all hours, whooping and hollering. I snuck out a few times with those boys and girls, the Pirates of Jadora, we were called, and we raised more hell than a band of drunken soldiers. But back then, unlike most of those kids, I had parents, and they quickly put a stop to my nocturnal sorties. But those were some fond memories. Walking in silence with this big oaf of a milkman, without so much as a word about what we were up to, and missing my day with Stormy, I finally felt all the responsibilities of being an adult come crashing down on me. We got to the station. Beaver pointed to a spot beside Corwin's office. Stand there, don't talk, he said. Then one of the old-time milkmen came out of Corwin's office. His name's Walker, a grey-haired old coot, close to retirement, I would guess. He fancies himself the keeper of the milkman's lore here on St. Gaff's. Walker was always full of stories about his old boss who was stripped of command after getting drunk as a loon and shouting obscenities and company secrets from the roof of the station, or the young Tyro who fell down a hole in the north end of town and was never heard from again. Walker always acted like he had a secret he couldn't tell, but I never much cared for his stories and didn't listen too carefully in any case. Anyway, this Walker comes out of Corwin's office and says to Beaver, He'll be out in about three hours, so just sit tight. And I blurt out, If we're here three hours doing nothing, can't I go? They looked at me, as shocked as if Billy on the wall had just spoken. But Billy just seemed to wink at me, so I shut my mouth and settled in for the long haul. I could just see Stormy now, looking at the clock, wondering where I was. She'd probably think something terrible had happened. She'd hardly be able to hold back her tears as she paid for her soda with her own money. Outside the pharmacy, she'd break down, inconsolable. She'd weep all the way home. People would stop to ask what's wrong, but she wouldn't even be able to answer. Beaver sat on a bench on the sidewalk and smoked a pipe. I paced about vibrating all over wanting to know what happened with Stormy and wishing I could go to her. Finally, Beaver burst out, Stop that blasted pacing, you bloody booby! So I stood and conversed with Billy on the wall, in my head, mind you, silently. I doubt very much that Beaver would stand for me talking out loud to a mural. And how are we tonight there, Billy? He didn't say much. His smile was sort of a cruel, mocking one tonight. 
I thought he'd be a better friend to me after me being so cordial with him every single morning, but finding no help from Billy, I just sat myself down on the curb and tried not to let my woes get the better of me. I looked over at Beaver sitting there, betting he'd never had a real woe in his whole life. Anyways, around midnight, up drives a big, glossy, black car. The kind you might see outside a bank in downtown Mingsbite. And out steps a very grave-looking man in a dark suit, his face gray and gaunt in the moonlight. And just as he got out, Beaver knocks on the door to Corwin's office, and out comes Corwin. They shake hands, and then just stand there like they're waiting for something, not a word spoken between them. And that's when I noticed the sign on the door of the car. It was a white circle with a cow head in the middle, and I read the words, Department of Lactic Affairs. But by accident, I read the words out loud, as I sometimes do. Everyone was glaring at me. Sorry, I said. Shut up, Beaver hissed. So I just stood there trying to look mysterious like the others. So this man is from the Department of Lactic Affairs. I should try to make a good impression. But there we waited, maybe half an hour or so. The man from the department kept looking at his wristwatch. Then something happened that I wasn't expecting to happen at all. Down the road comes Frank, and he's leading a big white bull right down the main street of St. Gaff's at half past midnight, and he was being more calm than you'd think he'd be. No one was around since usually people went to bed pretty early around here. When Frank had the bull up close to the station, under a gas light, the man from the department went up and looked it over. He took out a little brush and a magnifying glass. Still no one said a word, until the department man said, Not a single black hair. Corwin gave a very slight smile, and Beaver opened the big double doors to Corwin's office. There were a bunch of candles lit inside, and all the rest of them started leading the bull right into Corwin's office, where he worked. I started to follow, but Beaver said, You wait here. Don't let no one in, and keep a note of anyone who passes. So in they all went, closing the door behind them, and there I waited with no clue how long I'd be there. So I waited, and I waited. Old Mr. Floorsham walked by, on one of his late-night walks. Poor old fellow couldn't sleep as usual. Hello there, Howie. Hello, Mr. Floorsham. Can't sleep? I can't. I was reading from St. Hobbs and the wheels get to turning, and I've just got to get out and walk, you know. Is that what you used to teach at the university? Among other things, yes, Howie, he said. And why are you out here at this hour? It was time for fast thinking, so I said... Oh, we're just doing some maintenance work on the pipes and such. Got to be done at night so as not to interfere with the deliveries. And they left you to stand guard? Yes, that's it, Mr. Floorsham. You wouldn't want anyone sneaking in and interfering with the pipes now, would you? That's right. You've got it right on the nose there. They've got their best man on it, yeah? Nothing's gonna get by old Howie. I hope not, Mr. Floorsham. And what's this big black car here, Department of Lactic Affairs? 
They brought in someone from the head office for the repairs, did they? I chewed on this for a moment before answering. I don't know anything about this car. It was here when I arrived. But you'd better move on, mister. I'm supposed to make a note of anyone passing by, and we don't want any trouble. Okay, Howie, I'll leave you to it. And with that, he wandered off. Clearly, I was getting the hang of obfuscating and dodging. Not much happened after that. I sort of dozed on my feet until I heard the doors to Corwin's office open. Frank and Beaver walked out with the bull. It was all sweaty now. And inside, I just caught a glance of Corwin and the man from the department taking off big flowing red robes. But Frank quickly closed the door after the bull was out. He led it back up the street the same way he'd arrived. Beaver came up to me. Don't tell no one about this, and don't be late tomorrow. Then he sticks his big finger into my chest, and put those files back where they belong tomorrow. I felt like I just about fell through the floor, even though I was out there on the street. I reckoned it must have been about three o'clock in the morning. Even old Billy on the wall could hardly keep his eyes open. I walked back home when it started misting, not quite raining. I was cold and tired and had a terrible feeling in my guts about the files. So they knew all along about me taking off with the documents but never said a thing? And what were they doing with the bull and those robes and the candles? They clearly didn't mind too much that I was seeing these things. Did that mean they trusted me? Or that I was so far beneath their notice that they didn't even care what I saw or what I did? As I took the road for home, I started sniffling. I smelled something awful, and then I sneezed. When I looked up, I saw them. Three of those dead birds that escaped from the hole the other day. I stared at them, and they stared at me. I froze as one swooped down. I shielded myself with my arms with the thing pecked at my head. It pulled a bit of my hair. I yelled and waved frantically trying to get it off. It retreated, but when the other two swooped towards me, I ran the other way with every bit of speed I had left. When I couldn't run any more, I stopped and turned, winded and gasping for breath. I was afraid to go back home. I couldn't run into those things again. It was really turning into a terrible evening. Without knowing quite where I was headed, I found myself down at the pier again. It was getting light in the east, even with the spitting mist. I heard a strange moaning and thumping a ways ahead of me. When I got close, I saw what it was and hunched down behind a fence and saw Mr. Pyman. He didn't look well at all. He already looked thin after just a few days tied to the post there. He was shivering in the cold, moaning and banging his head against a pole. Maybe he was delirious. Seeing him made me feel pretty awful. Probably it was worth braving the birds to get away and maybe get some sleep before work. Then the clock tower on the pier struck four. There'd be no sleep tonight. My uniform was already on and I'd have to head back to the station right away to make it on time. And there was old Pyman moaning away. At least he can get some sleep whenever he wants.
I set off in my deliveries in a daze of exhaustion. I had that early morning, tired stomach feeling. The early morning is always a pretty weird time. You eyeball everyone you see to figure out if they're just going about their business or stumbling home drunk or crazy. On the main street, I passed the baker's truck. As usual, he was driving up the wrong side of the road. With no traffic, he drove on either side in order to drop his bags of buns and bread off faster. When I passed, he gave me a tired wink. I often passed him on the way to work. There's a special bond between us early morning lunatics. On the coast road out to see Travis, I could hardly keep my eyes open. I didn't know if there was any use keeping them open since I started to see things. Green flashes out at sea. One, then another, then a third. I blinked and shook myself, but then I saw it again. Something green glowing out there under the sea. Mayhaps I was dreaming, slumped over the steering wheel back in town somewhere. Or maybe I'd driven into the sea and was dead. And maybe being dead was just like a foggy, weird dream that mirrored our everyday life. To test my theory, I shouted out to the sea, And what about it, Mr. Greenie? Are we alive out here? Or just rolling around in our graves? But I didn't see any more green flashes, and the sea didn't answer. The road drifted on past, and I thought about how nice it would be if I were out here with Stormy, watching the stripy red dawn and talking about the mysteries of life, the moonlight shining on her black hair. When I got to the fisherman's cottage, Travis was on the shore with his daughter Naomi. Naomi had the spyglass, and they both seemed especially intent on looking out at the ocean. When I stopped, Travis was all excited. He walked over with his spring in his step. Did you see, Howie? The Felena? The what now? Then he seemed to remember something. Oh, uh, nothing, Howie. Was that one? Naomi cried out. Just a second, love. Two bottles, Howie. We're in a bit of a hurry this morning, if you don't mind. The fisherman was acting strangely again. That was for certain. I made a mental note of it and stored it away for future use. Back in town, I made the usual rounds. I got the usual harumph from Mrs. Noseworthy. I had no idea what the old bat's problem was, but I was getting quite fed up with it, to tell you the truth. I picked up Father Whelan's fish sandwich and brought it to him. The speed with which that man got the thing unwrapped and into his kisser always astonished me. These are big, hearty sandwiches with lots of mayonnaise and crusty bread. Usually he couldn't take his eyes off his meal, but today he tried talking to me as he chewed. Howie, why don't you come to my sermon this Sunday? Oh, no thanks, Father. It's my only day off, and I'm not really a religious man, to tell you the truth. Don't worry about that, Howie. Services are really more of a social event. You come along. A lot of pretty girls there, you know. And he winked at me, his cheeks full of fish. Down the road, I got the usual annoyed looks from Mrs. Pyman. She said something about, Don't ever show your face around here, you filthy bag of scum. And I told her, If you don't cancel your milk order, I've got to come, Mrs. Can't be helped. Some people you just can't reason with. 
She and I used to exchange a few pleasantries every morning, but now it's all gloom and long faces, as if it was somehow my fault her husband got caught doing this aversion. And anyways, this morning, I didn't have time to worry about her. I had to screw up my courage and face Stormy and try to explain what had happened. When I got to the old Tinker's house on Mercy Street, she was outside. She saw me and turned sharply, about to go inside. Stormy, wait! She turned to face me, not looking happy at all, an impatient look on her face. And where were you then? And that's when I realized I couldn't tell her where I'd been, and I'd forgotten to come up with a suitable fib. So I stood there, mouth agape, like an imbecile. Nothing to say? Fine. And with that, she bolted into the house. I felt suddenly sick and didn't know what to do. Mr. Greenwood came out looking a bit sheepish, not exactly mad at me, but maybe a little perplexed at how to deal with all the complexities of his daughter's love life. Just two bottles, Howie. He was almost kindly. Maybe he'd understand. Mr. Greenwood, could you tell Stormy? Yes? He asked. Tell her, I'm sorry? Uh, okay, Howie, and I can still look at that radio you mentioned, if you'd like. Thank you, Mr. Greenwood. Driving back to the station, in addition to feeling green from disappointing Stormy and her not wanting to talk to me, it also dawned on me that I wasn't furthering my mission of infiltrating the Greenwood household. What was I going to tell Corwin when he asked about my progress? Then I really thought I might puke. I managed to dodge Corwin at the station, at least. I made my way home, feeling as sorry as I could for myself. The whole world seemed a sad tragedy, and every shop I passed seemed to be one more piece of evidence that there's no point trying to make anything beautiful in this world. Even the nice things seemed to make the world a sadder place. At home, I slumped down in my chair, I thought I'd cheer myself up by reading a few pages of Eliza Pike. Eliza always knew what to do, no matter what the circumstances. She knew what was right and she knew what was wrong and nothing could shake her convictions once her mind was made up. I'll even tell you a little secret. Sometimes when I'm really stuck, I secretly ask Eliza to help me find the way. I know that once I get the red badge and learn all the ropes, I'll be a milkman of conviction, and I'll always know exactly what to do. And I'll never lose myself again. In this week's issue, Eliza had to visit this remote town on the northern shore. She went to help a girl whose father disappeared without a trace. She questioned all the people in the town and no one said a thing. Everyone acted just like they didn't even know the man and didn't care a whit about the girl. Eliza knew better though. They were keeping a secret and probably knew damn well where the father had gone, and she was going to get to the bottom of it. The only clue she had to go on was a glowing whalebone she found stuck in an odd way in the beach in front of the man's house. It was like one of the glowing whalebones they use in churches, but smaller. Everyone said he probably just got tired of it and left, but the girl said he'd left a note. This was a two-part story and I'd have to wait until next week for the denouement. I got to thinking about Stormy, and how maybe one day we'd have a little girl, 
and maybe I'd go missing, and the girl would pine away from me, wondering where I'd gotten to, and Stormy might walk the sea strand at night, thinking of all the good times we'd had, and wondering what shore I might have washed up on. I wasn't about to let those dreams go, so I sat down to write a letter, a sort of poetic and tragical one, to let her know what happened, and also what sort of a man I was. My dear Stormy, I'm writing you this letter today to explain about what happened the other night. I was all ready to come see you when I suddenly had to go to work because a man from the Department of Lactic Affairs... Scratch that. Dear Stormy, you might not know it, but being a milkman carries with it certain infallible and irrefutable responsibilities. She'd never believe it about the milkman, and we're not even supposed to talk about it anyways, especially the nighttime stuff. Dear Stormy, I sometimes have these spells. I've had them since I was a kid. You see, I'm not from St. Gaff's. Instead, I'm from Mingsbite, and not the nicest part of the city either. I didn't grow up with all the sorts of fancy things like you did. Anyways, these spells are sort of like sleepwalking, except my family. In my neighborhood, everyone had at least seven kids. My parents, though, only had me. Sometimes, when I was a kid, I would fall into these episodes, and I would fall very ill, and it was very hard to take care of me. I used to cause problems with my sleepwalking. I barely slept a wink, except it felt like I was somewhere else, somewhere terrible. Once, when I was three and a half, I walked out in a storm and slipped into the creek that carried all the wastewater from the factories, and still I didn't wake up. But my father was looking for me and he found me and pulled me out before I drowned. But my parents, they could hardly sleep for all the trouble I gave them. My dad had a good job at the factory, but he told me he couldn't keep it because of me and my goddamned spells. He had to get odd jobs after that and work as a maintenance man at an apartment building for the factory workers he used to work with. And Stormy, he got mad. Every day. The spells come and go, but back then, it was something awful. They said I broke a bunch of windows on the street one night, and my mom and dad had to pay. And not only that, but my dad lost his job. His maintenance man job at the building. And he came home drunk, which didn't really happen all that often. And he was yelling and blubbering mad and sad, and he screamed at me. I should never have pulled you out of that creek. No one would be the wiser if I'd let you die that night. He didn't mean it, probably. But I ran away then, and I got sucked down into it, like always happened. I woke up in a filthy alley behind a pub in the wee hours of the morning. I forgot for a while why I'd run off. I stumbled back home. Just as the sun came up, I got there. The police cars were outside. God damn it. I crumpled up the paper and tossed it in the trash bin. Who was I kidding? 
I couldn't ever twist the words around to make her really know where I came from, how just seeing her of a morning was the brightest spot of my day. I laid down in my bed, just staring at the ceiling. I couldn't close my eyes, much less fall asleep. An evening breeze blew in from the street, and I had to get out. I found myself, hands in pockets, just walking in the red starlight. I tell you I was walking aimlessly, but I knew where I was going. I walked past her house three or four times. I thought maybe if I could talk to her she'd see. Some lights were on, but I didn't know which window was hers. I saw a curtain move, and I stopped, looking up. Her silhouette moved in the window, and I must have caught her eye. My heart froze. I wanted to run away, but I was stuck there. She pulled back the curtain and opened the window. Howie, what are you doing out there? I was just walking by. Are you a peeping Tom now, Howie? You're a weirdo you are. Get out of here. The window closed. The light went off. I put my head down and hurried off, feeling like I was going to throw up and scream and cry all at the same time. Down on the main drag, I got sucked into a pub. The bar was sticky, and the smoke burned my eyes. You want a pint there, lad? Just a lemonade, please. Lemonade it is. I'd never had a pint before, to tell you the truth. Back home, the tradition was for a dad to buy his son his first pint, but that didn't happen with me. The lemonade was cool. I tried to keep a low profile, choking back all the old stuff that was bubbling up in me, trying to stop it from happening again. A long-haired fellow got up on the stage with a guitar, and his song rang through me for days to come. Thank you so much for listening. The song at the end is called Mood Swings Reprise by Moody Bear. You can find a link to more of his great music in the show notes at howiemilkman.com. I found the song through Artlist, a subscription library of music and sound effects that I use for a lot of my own sound design. It's a fantastic service, and if you are interested in subscribing, you can use the link in the show notes and get an extra two months for free. You can also visit HowieMilkman.com if you'd like to support the show through Patreon or Coffee. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month. At a higher level, you could even get a coffee mug with the Department of Lactic Affairs logo on it. Certainly a great conversation piece. Again, thank you very much for listening. The next episode, called The Police will be out in two weeks. 
be seeing you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 